I do love a good stat. Hello and welcome to Real Versus Feel, netball numbers that matter. A podcast with me, freelance journalist Erin Delahunty and Dr. Aaron Fox, a lecturer in applied sports science and research methods at Deakin University. In this show, we align what it feels like happened in Super Netball at the weekend to what the stats, the real, tells us. Of course, we wouldn't be here without our major sponsor, All in One Property. If you've purchased property, you know it involves tons of paperwork and stress. You've got to sort out conveyancing, finance and insurance. And that's if it's a simple deal. All in One Property can help handle every step or just one. Visit allinoneprop.com to learn more. I'd like to acknowledge I'm on the lands of the Yorta Yorta people in Echuca and Aaron is on Wadawurrung land in Geelong. We pay our respects to elders past and present. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Now, Aaron, the decals stayed down, the stadiums stayed illuminated and the centre passes flowed as expected, well, as far as we know. So that was a good start to this round. Yeah, I mean, I think... Light staying on, tick. No game cancellations, <laughs> tick. You've got to call that a win. Yeah. Um, so we're setting the standard. Look, it's definitely nice to be once again focusing on what's happening on the court. Uh, for this episode, friend of the pod, Michael Hutchinson, has helped us out again with some uh, great statistics from each of the games, what he calls the wash up. So let's run through the results. And I've decided to, we're going to go in chronological order this week, Aaron, so I don't get stuck with any controversies as I did last weekend. So why don't you start us off with the opening match of the round between the Swifts and Firebirds at Ken Rosewell Arena, which actually, despite me saying just now, everything went smoothly this round. Um, they actually had some issues with their scoreboard, but I digress. I'll, I'll let yes, you take let's, it. Let's keep it on the netball court, okay, Aaron. Done. Um, so I looked at this game at the start of the round, you know, Swift 74 against Firebirds 71, equal year high combined halftime score, equal year high combined three-quarter time score, and you thought this was going to be the high-scoring one for the yep. round. Yep. But, you know, we'll get to the other one later. Um, the Swift's highest score since round three last year, um, and Matty Proud, who we'll talk about later in the episode, a clear yes. standout here with 37 feeds, 23 goal assists, three pickups, three deflections. Like I said, we'll talk about how she was all over the court in a few minutes. Yep. But this was a pretty even game statistically and a bit of a weird stat for this one that the teams made the exact same number of shots, the mm. same number of misses and the same number of attempts, yet the Swift somehow won. And that's because of our favourite thing, which we're also going to talk about later, the super shots. Um, but an even weirder thing with this was yep. despite the Swifts winning this game because they uh, had more super shots, the Firebirds actually outscored them in those power five periods. So there was, oh. you know, some different scoring flows happening in this game. It would have been an, a, a strange one to kind of look at that score worm across. Um, but interesting game. And then we had the Thunderbirds versus Lightning next, which was... Uh, an even more interesting game, I thought. Yeah, look, the Thunderbirds are just sort of continuing on their merry way, aren't they? Aside from that forced draw, they look, um, yeah, very, very good. They easily accounted for the Lightning um, on the Lightning's home court. They won 66 to 42. That, 
huge margin was the Thunderbirds' biggest ever in Super Netball, Michael tells us, and, and they had a centre pass to goal conversion of about 72%. It was really interesting to see the Thunderbirds really shut down that second phase receives of the lightning shooter Kara Conan, which is something we talked about as a feature of her game last episode, Adelaide's head coach, Tanya Ops, but I think importantly, her assistants, Tracy Neville and Kathy Fellows, their plan worked really well to hold the diamond shooter to just three second phase receives in a half at goal shooter when she was back there. She's averaging, you know, more like four a quarter so far this season. So made a real difference. That was really down to the work of the whole defensive unit, I think though, but especially uh, Latanya Wilson at wing defense, who didn't do huge numbers um but had a a huge say in that um in that result i would say yeah i mean you mentioned the center pass to goal percentage that was a big difference uh where the thunderbirds were at 72 percent the lightning at 54 percent right hard to win a game only converting half of your center passes to goal and the pickups which are kind of like your loose ball gets was another interesting one which was 14 to 2 in favor of the thunderbirds so they were obviously kind of all over the court on those loose balls in this match. You know, Lightning love to call those the bin chickens, don't they? They sort of pride themselves on chasing those down, so they really sort of turn the tables. Now, next was the game in Perth, Aaron, between the reigning premiers, the West Coast Fever and Collingwood. Mm. And this is what I was talking about where I was like, you know, the Swiss first, the Swiss match and their score of 74 was like, you know, that's a great score. So and then many the Fever goals. come along yeah. and just score 80. Um, and, you know, this is their highest score versus the Magpies, their biggest win in Super Netball. That centre pass to goal conversion was another big one here with the Fever at 81% yeah. and the Magpies at 59%. Um, Bruce having a huge game back in defence, 10 gains, 7 deflections. You know, you look at that, some teams don't even get 10 gains themselves for the game. So for her to get that is great. Um, And, like, really just utter dominance from the Fever. They had 100 circle feeds, which seems like a lot. It it happens more than I thought, though. Okay. Around, like, it can happen around 15 to 20% of games in a season, but there are some seasons where it kind of never happens. But it just seemed like a lot to see those circle feeds getting to triple digits. And then, like, the net points, which kind of tries to cover the the whole match, the Fever had... 596 net points, um, which at times both teams combined might not even get that. It's the second highest total net points ever since they started uh, calculating those. The the only time a team has gotten higher than that was last year when the Firebirds did a bit of a demolition job on the Lightning in round two. And so this was just like a huge numbers game for the Fever, right? Um, We've talked about Janelle Fowler and the whole milestone of um, consecutive uh, goals and breaking that record. So that was a kind of big feature of the game and picked yep. up across mainstream media. And even the the people we've talked about there, Janelle Fowler and Kat Tuvati, sharing that on social media. So, you know, uh, it was really cool to see that and, you know, a very interesting statistical game, uh, nice. which almost even overshadowed that Ash Brazel sort of mentioned that it was going to be a last year of Super Netball, right? <laughs> yeah, just sort of dropped that in at the end. I think maybe people might have thought that was coming. For her to say it out loud, though, it was a shock to a lot of people. And, you know, she's been such a servant to the game that it, it's really made headlines these last couple of days. Now yeah. I'm going to – Yeah, yeah no, last sorry. match. 
first yeah. match I've been able to go to this year, which was really good. You know, Vixens Giants. The last match I went to was Vixens Giants, Giants. prelim final. Oh, there you so go. Come back to this one. It kind of felt like good full circle moment. But yeah, what happened? In I this should one? have put. I should have put you on this one. Well, for me, watching at home, this was the match of the round. I think with the Vixens and the Giants adding another chapter to what's a pretty t- you know fierce growing rivalry. And as you just mentioned, you know, the first time off the back of that preliminary final was really interesting to see this one unfold. The game was all tied up 57-all when the siren went for the power five period, as we call it. And amazingly, the Giants didn't score at all in that five minutes, leaving the Vixens, who used the ball very smartly, I would suggest. They won by five goals, which really didn't reflect, I don't think, how close the game was at different points. It did always feel like the Giants were coming. But we are going to touch on to uh, dive into the super shot a bit more deeply this episode. Yeah, and like... I only need to look at one stat for the Vixens each game. Okay, they had 11 games, games. which is <laughs> 10 or more, and we very rarely continue to see them lose when they force their opposition into those turnovers at that rate. And so that statistic continues to kind of be a really good indicator of the Vixens' uh, outcomes. Yeah, and look, it did feel like I thought the Vixens' defenders were really heavily penalised throughout the game, but they cleaned it up in the moments that they needed to. And again, M Mannix, with a, a huge rebound there right towards the end, had shades of the preliminary final as well, I thought, Aaron. Now... Mm-hmm. To our first deep dive today, which I've entitled Maddie Proud's Powerful Performance because we love a little bit of alliteration here on Real versus Feel. Um, we have been remiss in not focusing on the midcourt so far this season, so let's rectify that. We couldn't ignore this blindingly good game from the Swifts co-captain against the Firebirds. You know, we don't tend to focus too much on the Nissan Net Points here on the show as the way it rewards certain actions and doesn't is pretty arbitrary. And that's me saying that, not necessarily you, Aaron, but 120.5 did reflect her absolute dominance on the court. She felt to me like she was everywhere all at once. Um, You rattled off a few of her stats before and, you know, the the huge number of Nissan net points. Um, She also had, I think, the most um, second phase receives as well. So that kind of indicates how much work she's doing after a centre pass. Now, can you talk to me about her performance in that game? Where does it rate for her and, again, I guess, up against other leading midquarters? Yeah, so the interesting thing about this performance is the spread, I think. You look at her match of 39 feeds, um, 23 goal assists, right? That is pretty good for her. It's mm-hmm. going to be lingering around the bottom end of the top 20 performances for her on those Metrics, you know, she's had a number of games with upwards of 40 and even 50 feeds and 30-plus goal assists on occasion. But you mentioned some other things she did in the match. 17-second um, phase receives, uh, you know, that that's quite a lot. And so she spread her workload. And yeah. so we can sort of look at the net points there to get an overall metric of performance relative to, I guess, other performances within yeah, the year. Okay. And she yep. did... Total 120.5 net points, and this is the second highest she's ever got in her career since they started counting those. Mm-hmm. To keep in mind that some of those higher feed and goal assist matches might have been before the advent of net points, but from an yeah. overall perspective, I guess, using that, this is probably one of her better performances across her career. Yeah, I mean, between the net point system and the introduction of Supershot, it is difficult, I imagine, to accurately compare performances across 
time. That's where you need me, Aaron. That's where you need the feel. Feel, yes. <laughs> I mean, maybe Super Netball will change the values in, in net points in the future and then that yeah. will make it even more difficult to to compare the two. Yeah, I'm somewhat still trying to work out that formula on the side, um, but that is another digression that we don't need to get okay. into. But, I mean, if we stay on net points and the, the potential value here is that we can somewhat compare yeah. across positions and you know I mentioned that the 120.5 she got put her at number two kind of all time for her career mm -hmm. uh, that amount of net points is actually number three for the season yep. and the only two above those are Shamira Sterling and Jodie Ann Ward's matches from round one this season if you remember back to those those were some huge defensive performances that were kind of lauded quite highly so she's just sort of sitting around that mark with the this performance in round three. Yeah, look, I did have to smile when I saw that come through um, when we were discussing the scripts earlier today. It's always nice to see a mid-quarter catching up with the defenders, Aaron. Somehow the defenders <laughs> are up the top of the net points, even though they don't reward their activity right now. It's early in the season. Uh, <laughs> now let's look at the, the super influence of the super shot. As we've already touched on several games this round, the super shot, which of course we know is only in play in the last five minutes of each quarter, proved key both in teams winning and in losing. In the Swifts-Firebirds game, there was a total of nine, six to the Swifts and just three to the Firebirds. Mia Stoa scored all of those. The Lightning didn't record one in their loss to the Thunderbirds and the T-Birds only had four and all of those belonged to Eleanor Cardwell back at Shooter. Um, and Fever, I mean, their shellacking is an unkind word, but that's what it was, 80 to 53, their win over Collingwood. They scored a staggering 20 points off super shots thanks to Sasha Glasgow um, scoring 10. They also, you know, scored something like 36 points total in, you know, the, all of their super shot periods. So the Pies game, uh, the Pies in that game had um, seven from Sophie Garbin and one from Kelly Singleton. And then we've just talked then about what happened in the Giants game where they weren't able to score at all in the last five minutes. Has that ever happened before where the, the Giants haven't scored anything in a super shot period? Yeah, I guess we associate uh, this power five period with the Giants. Sure we, we think they score so well. But I guess the reason they do score so well in that period is because they take those risks yeah. with the super shots. There were some really key examples in the game on the weekend. Um, this is actually the third time that the Giants have failed to score in the power five period. Wow. And the interesting thing with this is that every time that's happened, all three times have been in the fourth quarter. Oh, intriguing. So if it's happened to them three times, how often does it happen more broadly across the league? Yeah, not many uh, okay. um, when you look at this. It's only happened in five quarters ever, uh, you know, a not power much. five period where a team hasn't scored. And that equates to like less than 1% of quarters in, in matches, so very rare. The Giants have, you know, more than half of those five yep. quarters with the three we just mentioned, and it's happened once each for the Magpies and the Firebirds. And similar sort of pattern here, I guess, across all five of these, four of them are in the fourth quarter, so mm -hmm. at the end of matches, mm -hmm. and one is in the first quarter, so you know, at the bookends. Um, and across these five quarters where no scoring has happened, they have been super shot heavy for those teams. So 
14 super shots attempted in those periods and only one standard shot by those teams. So it's pretty clear mm. that if you go, you know, the, the times where you are not scoring in that power five period is when teams are really going for those super shots. Yeah, well, so the last quarter pressure is real, that, that pressure that is there. But, I mean, you would maybe more expect it in the first quarter if the shooters, if they're the kind of shooters that shoot close and then they're attempting from a longer distance might be something else we can dig into later. So in this season, who's shooting the least number of super shots and the most, which I think I can probably guess the answer to. Yeah. I mean, we'll start with the most because it's obviously the giants. They're taking just over 17 per game. And when you contrast that to the next most, which is the Magpies, it's a decent way behind at 10 per game. And then, you know, the rest of the teams kind of filter from that 10 per game down. Uh, You mentioned earlier that the Lightning didn't really take any in the Mm. match against the the Thunderbirds on the weekend or didn't make any. Um, This is somewhat surprising to me with someone like Steph Wood on the team who can really shoot from range there, but they are taking the least at around three and a half per game. Um, And... Perhaps something I noted looking into these stats was that even in that power five period, nearly all teams are still taking more standard shots than super shots. So, you know, Mm. it's still a few standard shots, maybe a couple of super shots in that five minutes, except for the Giants. Um, They really shift the strategy and they actually take less than one standard shot on average in that power five period. So it's like they just shift to super shot mode. That's it. Um, And it's obviously works sometimes and doesn't work other times. High risk reward, you know. I think it'd be great too, but potentially, you know, impossible to look at how many times in the super shot period that shooters are in a one goal spot and then they kind of mess around and attempt to get a super shot and then they turn it over because I guess this is what fans and and some pundits are sort of seeing is happening and that's exactly what we saw um, with Joe Harton in this game. She had a really simple shot under the post after Joe Weston had contacted her and she sought to get into that two-point shot and then missed and then, of course, that potentially, you know, creates a turnover. So the next question, I guess, is I assume it's the Giants who've missed the most super shots because they take more attempts. Yeah, it's going to be impacted by volume. Yeah. You know, so unsurprisingly, the Giants are missing the most super shot attempts in that power five period, and that's coming on average to about one and a half super shot misses per quarter. Mm-hmm. And so you can think about that, like there's a potential to be leaving two to three goals on the table each yeah. quarter yeah. if you're not on during that period. Yeah, and I mean, it doesn't sound like much when you say one and a half goals obviously but those few in that last game you know in the last quarter against the Vixens that was I think I had a quote in my story this week that was the game they weren't able to convert in that time and it creates that turnover so how many times have individual teams and maybe both in a game if that makes sense not scored a super shot in a whole game in the whole 20 minutes it's available yeah extrapolating this out to the, the whole game for individual teams within a match, it's happened 19 times where they haven't scored a super shot. Okay. And over the time this has been in play, that's just under 10% of games. So not often. You know, one in every 10 games, we're going to see a team not score a super shot. Um, out of these 19 times, only three times have occurred where the team hasn't actually attempted a super shot. So they're still going for them, probably in lower numbers. Okay, and, got you. Yep. And perhaps... You know, teams are realizing that early. They take a couple, it's not on, they shift back to the strategy and don't rely on it. 
Interestingly, there's never been a game where both teams haven't scored a super shot. It's been in ev- a made super shot has been in every game since 2020. Well, isn't that wonderful? I know it. War- <laughs> I know it warms your heart, Erin. I mean, I mean, it does. What it does do is it, it makes the Vixens' approach again. We're talking about that same game um, against the Giants at the weekend even more noteworthy because um, you and I discussed, uh, you know, earlier that. The Vixens looked like that was the plan. That's what they intended to do. Kamwenda was kind of parked under the post and they were going to chip away. The Giants took a very, very different approach. Now, lastly on this subject, and I think I might know the answer to this, but who has scored the most super shots in a single game ever? I think I need to, yeah, inspect the the stat records a little bit more on this one because this was a discussion on social media over the weekend and, feel like people were talking about uh, Matisse Leatherbarrow a little bit and where she had a match where she scored 11. Possibly might have been pre-season maybe. Did your data mm. take in pre-season games? Yeah, I didn't look into pre-season games for this. Might um, explain it. But my records have her max super shots at nine in a match uh, and that is outdone by seven times where a player has scored 10 super shots in a game. And this has been once each by Steph Wood, Sam Wallace, Helen Housby, Rani Samazan, and Sasha Glasgow over the weekend. And then Joe Harton is the only person who's done this twice. It is an unbelievable way to contribute to your team, isn't it? (laughs) To say, what did you do today? I had, had, you know, 10 touches and an intercept, or I I put 20 of those goals. That's 20 20 on the board. Like, that's (laughs) a third of the score for most teams. That's it. Now, our final subject is a little bit different, and I'm calling it the time scoring continuum because, like, I think I'm a statistician now and a mathematician, so I'm starting to crack out these words. The Vixens Magpie center pass kerfuffle really put a spotlight on how the ball is returned to the center circle after a goal is scored, something that is pretty unique to netball. Leaving aside the actual controversy, it got me thinking about how much time is lost each game as the ball is sent back and we're assuming that time isn't called here. It is sometimes. So I timed a few games, just had a bit of a play and found it can take sort of two to three seconds for the ball to make its way back to the center. And because math is hard for my writer's brain, Aaron, I hope you can help me work out how much time are we actually losing each game in dead ball time? I think they call it in other ball sports. I guess, of course, it depends on how many goals are scored in a game, how long it takes to get the ball back. And as I said, sometimes, you know, you will see the umpire call time if the ball kind of rolls away into the, the back of the stadium. Mm, it is a unique thing with netball, mm. I think, like that there is this period of clearly no activity, but the time keeps running. Uh, and it doesn't necessarily happen a lot in other sports. Um, But over the last five years, the ball is going through the net and therefore having to get back to the centre on average 113 times a game. Mm -hmm. But this does uh, vary pretty dramatically. The the lowest I saw over the last five years was 82, up to 146 goals in a game. So that's a pretty wide variation that you've kind of got to factor in, isn't it? Yeah, and so considering our numbers uh, just mentioned there and your proposal of, let's say, two and a half seconds um, per moving the ball back to the centre, and I'm just going to flag here, I don't really think this is complicated maths. I think (laughs) we could have left this to you, Erin. But games on average would run for just 
under another five minutes. So that's the average amount of time that is being lost. And in the game with the most goals scored, this would have been just over six minutes lost. So a whole nother super short period, if you will, Erin. <laughs> well, firstly, thanks for the whack. I appreciate that. <laughs> But, I mean, that is an extraordinary amount of time in a game of netball when we've been talking I, I about so, yeah. the three weeks, we've been talking about one and two seconds. You know, we're talking about is someone's foot, fingernail, toenail inside a super shot. And as you say, an entire super shot period. What did we just talk about? A team getting 36 goals across mm. all of those, you know, those periods. Do, do we really want to see the Fever come out and score at like 120 <laughs> in a match though? Look, it was. It, it, they looked like they were going to get close on the weekend in that, that last quarter with the super shots raining mm. down. I mean, I was talking to a friend of the pod, um, Michael Hutchinson, about this topic and we wondered why for, for grass, not for grassroots, but for super netball, why isn't there a way for the timekeeper to stop the clock when the umpire's arm goes in the air and that's what signals that the goal is actually counted and then restart the clock when the ball leaves the centre's hand at the next centre pass. I guess there's something in the rules that says only the umpire can call time on and call time off, but I think it would certainly stop that accidental fumbling um, or rushing, alternatively the rushing that we see from centres at the moment as they sort of try to engineer their return to the the centre third to benefit their team, which, of course, they're going to do. But I guess it's just another one for the league to think about. Now we have a special offer from our major sponsor, All In One Property. Real versus Field listeners know by now that All In One Property can help home buyers with conveyancing, loans, property law and insurance. They can link you in with a bunch of property services so you can have one point of contact instead of many when, when purchasing a home. And the best bit is you can use all of the services or just some. It's a one-stop shop for when you're buying a home, helping you handle the conveyancing, finance, insurance and property law paperwork, reducing stress and saving time. And for a limited time, if you reach out to All In One Property and mention the podcast, you'll receive 10% off conveyancing services. Visit allinoneprop.com or call 03-99-829491 to discover how you can benefit from the streamlined property transfer process. Now it's that time, Aaron, for Fox Answers the Fans. Um, I'm really looking forward to this one. This question comes to us from Jen Sinclair of Netball Scoop fame, and it's a good one. She asks, of the three key team statistics that champion data supplies for Super Netball, gains to goals percentage, turnover to goal percentage, and centre pass conversion percentage, and then there's also, I guess, team shooting percentage, is there one indicator that most clearly predicts which team wins? Yeah, I really like this question because it allowed me to get my statistical teaching hat back out for this one. It was mentioned getting on you, the pod getting you a hat last week. Yep. Well, I, I mean, you've got the soundboard in front of you, Aaron. I don't know if you can play some <laughs> rustling or even maybe a hat sound, whatever that might be when it's going on. But the reason this is a great question is it's a kind of perfect example or application for a statistical technique of linear regression, where we take a predictor variable, like something around gains from goals, and examine its linear relationship to how well it predicts an outcome, such as the margin in the match. You know, think back to those high school maths days of y equals mx plus c, right? You never use okay. that again, uh, but we're pulling it back out okay. to 
develop this linear regression equation, right? Okay, I can go back to being silly now. I'm happy to take the earlier whack because I'm going to have to start taking notes. This does sound pretty complex. Yeah, it, I mean, we can make it sound as complex as we like. Sure. That's, you know, <laughs> uh, that, that's part of what we do. Um, but so, um, Jenny, you know, she mentioned uh, the, the percentages, but I decided to actually focus on the absolute differential in these stats for this question as I felt like the percentages could be skewed. Okay. Like, for example, if you have a team that only gets one gain in a match and they score from that, they get 100% for this statistic, which wouldn't really be a great representation of performance in this category. So mm-hmm. I looked at, you know, the absolute numbers, the amount of let's let's stick with the goals from gains example that a team got and uh, looked at the differential of that between the two teams and, you know, you get a plus or a minus depending on which way you subtract it and then look at the relationship between that to uh, the end margin in the match, the end scoring margin as their outcome. And I guess it's important. Yeah, go. uh, I guess it's important to flag that uh, this data has only been collected since 2015 in the ANZ Championship and Super Netball. It's a small sample. Um, yeah, it's it's enough to kind of get an understanding uh, of what that general relationship is, though. Mm-hmm. And all of these variables, as you might expect, they at least have a linear relationship with the final yep. score margin. Like they all go, you know, a- as one increases, so does score margin, or as it decreases, the differential decreases, so does score margin. But the relationship is stronger in some versus others, as the question was asking. So which variable ranks higher then? Well, the order here, I looked at the the center pass, the gains and the turnovers, and it's from strongest to weakest. Mm -hmm. We start with goals from center pass. Yep. Followed by goals from games. And the last being goals from turnovers. And the differential in goals from center passes actually explains one and a half to two times as much variance in final score margin Mm. than the turnovers and gains respectively. So this is Mm. kind of the standout one. And I suppose the message here is that you want to take advantage of scoring from all of these scenarios. That's course, an obvious one. Course. Yeah. But it seems especially pertinent to score from those center pass situations first and foremost, like get that right. And that's where you start from. Yeah. And of course that totally backs the feel on this, right? You're taught from your very first game of netball, how vital scoring off your center is. Um, yeah, that's a great question. And we absolutely would love you all to get involved in the show by sending these questions to us. The more complex, the better. Um, yeah, send them through on our social media platforms and, and using the real V feel. And we'll, an- yeah, we'll get Aaron to answer them in future episodes. We already have so many questions in the bank, Aaron, that I'm contemplating a bonus episode filled with all of them if I can uh convince you now i like that it's <laughs> it's my favorite part actually no it's not my favorite part right like it's almost my favorite part um but with so many questions coming through maybe we should put out the call for what my actual favorite segment is what should aaron cover on della bluntly <laughs> right you know there might be some questions or some requests out there i can't have all the fun answering questions from the fans so if you're going to give me a bonus episode filled with questions maybe we can put that call out <laughs> But in a week that 
was perhaps less controversial than other weeks yes. in the Super Netball season. What do you have for us? Well, my Della Bluntly this week is a little different. I guess it's a call to action for netball lovers everywhere to support men's netball, which had such a breakthrough year in 2023 with an international men's game televised for the first time ever. There was so much goodwill around at that time for the men's game, and now netball fans have a chance to show the men and boys who play the sport some love by supporting the Australian Championships, which is an event that sees about 500 of Australia's best men's and mixed netball talent represent their state or territory. The champs are happening over Easter in Perth from Sunday until next Saturday, April 15. There's 41 teams entered in seven different divisions from under-17s through to open in both men's and mixed. Organised and run by entirely volunteer associations, this event is a pathway for selection into the Australian teams that we saw on our TV screens last year. The players, as well as the coaches, team managers and everyone involved in the championships do it for the love of the game and are almost entirely self-funded. For the men's game to grow, it needs people to watch it, support it and talk about it. So if you're in Perth, please get along to the Bendit Basketball Centre. You can get a ticket for the whole week for 40 bucks or something like that. Kids under 12 can go for free. If you're not in WA, you can catch some live streams of the games for a very small cost. And if you're a fan, please talk about the championships on your social media. It may seem like a small thing, but when organisations are trying to secure sponsors and get media coverage even, the numbers that they reach on social media really matter. So the best way to learn more is to follow the Australian Men's and Mixed Netball Association on Facebook, where you can find all the information you need. And I guess good luck to everyone as well. Uh, I'm totally with you on this one, Erin. I think I'm already following a call to action because I was lucky enough to see and take my son along to one of those men's internationals last year. And he's only young, but it's really great to have him see that different side of netball. We go to the super netball a lot, but to see the men playing, you know, it's a similar thing to what we've seen with uh, women's Australian football, right, just on the other shoe. So everyone get involved as much as possible. If, If you can see it, you can be it. Aaron? Exactly. It's now time to check in how your shot in the dark went, uh, Aaron. It related to Janelle Fowler's amazing streak that you mentioned and talked about at the top. You tipped her at the very least to nail the first 26 shots to break that longest streak record, which of course she did. But even though you talked about the fact that she tends to miss a few here and there against the pies specifically, you tipped her to shoot at 100% which she didn't. Sorry, she yeah, just won in the you, third quarter. So you get half of the chocolates here. Hey, what my weekend here was like, I actually checked the score for the Fever Magpies game, like sort of maybe halfway through the third quarter and I checked her stats and she'd already missed one by then. And so there's me flicking through the champion data score flow, like right, counting, all right, Janelle <laughs> Fowler, make, 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 make. <laughs> when did she miss? And I was like, she managed okay. to get there. But, but as you say, I'm only giving myself a pass mark here because there was that miss. Um, no high distinctions or anything for no, me. Round three. Exactly. Mm. And what about your shot in the dark for round four? Well, I'm taking some inspiration from earlier. Like you said, we haven't really focused on the mid quarters too much this year. And that means we haven't got to talk about my favorite player, Liz Watson, like all year. And perhaps the reason is she hasn't been putting up the astronomical numbers that we're used to so far this season. Like they're still right up the top of the league, but she's only reached 40 circle feeds for the first time this season over the weekend. Okay. Uh, And so I looked at her numbers last year and whenever she had a 40 feed game, it was never a one-off. It was always joined 
to another 40 plus fee game in subsequent weeks. So that's my prediction this week that we're starting to see a ramp up and we'll see another big game from Liz Watson with at least 40 circle fees. Okay. I love that you're using historical game to game trend data from here. It's all it's all I've got. It's all about the numbers. <laughs> Look, it'll be interesting to see if Shannon Eaglin gets uh, another run at wing defence for the Lightning this weekend. Um, you know, standing Watson is maybe the biggest task in world netball. Well, that's a wrap for our latest episode. Please be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at RealVFeel and send us your Fox Answers the Fans questions using RealVFeel. All-in-One Property is a dedicated property service provider. What does that mean? It's a one-stop shop for when you're buying a home, helping you handle the conveyancing, finance, insurance, and property law paperwork, reducing stress and saving time. Use all the services or just one. Visit allinoneprop.com to find out more.